You're listening to the Naptime Empires podcast with my mom, Nikki Ellidge Brown. Mom, your show's on. Thanks, bud. I got it from here. Welcome to the Naptime Empires podcast, refreshingly honest conversations on the realities of parenthood and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Nikki Ellidge Brown. Let's get started. There are so many golden nuggets in this conversation. I'm so excited. It's finally time to share it with you. This is my talk with Melanie Duncan on what it really takes to design your dream empire. Before I spoil it for you, let me give you a quick recap, her bio, how I know her, and yeah, just the full rundown of what you can expect in this one. It's so good. Melanie Duncan's diverse and comprehensive background is what sets her apart and provides a solid foundation in all that she does. Over the last several years, she's started multi-million dollar businesses in a variety of industries from fashion and home decor to online education. Because of this, she's able to guide entrepreneurs toward growth in all kinds of industries from a place of practical, real-life experience, getting people big results. And I'm not going to lie, when I look at everything that this woman has accomplished in building her empires, and yeah, we are legit talking multi-million dollar empires, plural, I really want to believe that she's been on the planet longer than I have, but actually I believe I'm a few months older than her. Our little ones, Deacon and Olivia are literally just nine days apart. So she was part of the crew. I had like five friends that were pregnant all at the same time with me in 2015. Somehow they all went into labor before I did, but that's totally cool, Deacon. We originally met just online through a mutual friend introduction back in 2014, but then we met in person in Vegas in 2016 when the little ones were just a few months old and we made jokes about our preference for maternity pants, which for the record, I still have my workout maternity pants. I would call them yoga pants, but I don't do yoga at this point in my life. I still wear them. I mean, why not? They're really comfortable. So high five if you still like to wear maternity pants, even though you don't need them. I mean, I feel like everyone needs them because they're really comfortable. Okay. Anyway, all that to say, I have a lot of respect for Melanie and the empire that she and her husband and business partner, Devin have built over the past decade. They started their first business together in college. I think we talk about that in the conversation. Either way, I'm more than a little bit obsessed with the truth bombs that she drops in this episode. As we were going, we're like, I guess the theme of this is going to be tough love, but it's really empowering. And I want to say this, you might think that it's going to be demotivating to listen to a mama who's already built her truly insta-perfect. If you go to her Instagram, you're going to see what I mean. You might think it's demotivating to listen to her story because she's already built her empires to baller status. But I want to assure you, this is anything but. This is one of the most empowering conversations in a really unexpected way. So if you're anything like me, listening to this one is going to light a fire under your booty bum. It's going to empower you to take a step back and choose to design a business that truly supports the lifestyle that you want for your family, even if you haven't seen anyone do it that way before, which is exactly what Melanie shares. You want to stick around all the way to the end because I love what she shared all throughout it, but she really drops some cool nuggets there at the very end too. Okay, in this one, we cover how Team Duncan designed their businesses with their future family in mind, what surprised her most about having 24-hour living care, aka misconceptions on nanny life, tough love, and why she says it's actually lazy to do everything in your business, why building a dream team is like designing a dream home, which is seriously, we could have a whole nother conversation and episode on this, but she shares some really valuable hiring tips that are honestly a bit surprising. And yeah, I'm saying that to tease you, but honestly... 
I think they're just in, they're counterintuitive to what a lot of people think and teach. But she's living it and has built several teams in her businesses. So definitely tune in for that. We also talk about how even though her Instagram sure looks perfect, she's anything but a perfectionist. The value of grace in life and business. How she structures her work days and how that has changed since Olivia was born. Why she says that she bows down to mamas who are building empires with little ones in tow at this phase simultaneously. And the value and importance of learning from your failures. Seriously, so good. Enjoy. All right, Melanie, thank you so much for joining and for opening up to have this conversation. I'm really excited to hear your perspective on things today. I am ready. I've got a nice mug of some mint tea brewed here, and hopefully I can share some helpful insights and perspective to any other women out there building their nap time empires. Delightful. I'm really excited. And that this is taking me back to last year because Olivia was due January, right? She was due in January, but she came early. She was. You and I were both having a similar holiday experience or pre-holiday yes. experience. But yes, that little bugger came three weeks early. And <sighs> for once in my life, kicking off the parenthood journey, I was totally not prepared. <laughs> uh, that's so funny, right? And that's always how we need it, right? Whatever the experience, the birth experience, they say it's like always whatever you actually need. And that's how Bryson was. So I expected Deacon to be the same. And then meanwhile, I had all these friends that were pregnant at the same time. And then, boom, I'm not kidding. Olivia plus my friend Tamsin's little guy plus our nephew, three, all in one day on December yeah. 21st. Yeah, I was like, brought a lot of babies this year. What on earth? So I uh, get with the program. Let's make this a little hat trick over here. All right. Okay. So let's just get started. And I've already shared your bio by the time that you know we're doing this. So what's the basic overview of the current setup, the ages and stages? Because you have one baby, but multiple businesses. So if you could just kind of like set up the frame of reference. Sure. So I might be in a little bit different position than a lot of people listening, which is I had my businesses before my baby. My businesses were my first babies. Mm -hmm. So I've been actually running my own online businesses for over 10 years now. And I have a daughter who is almost 10 months. So Mm -hmm. that's the basic frame of reference. I run my businesses with my husband and our first businesses were in customizable online apparel, Uh, customizable home decor. And then about five years, we entered the information space, transitioning over to software and consulting. So we have several businesses under our empire. And recently we started an accelerator company, which is we actually fund and consult in businesses and take ownership percentages. So that's kind of the next phase of what we've been working on recently. So cool. And I will link to in the show notes so that the one listening, you can go and explore and hear more. Because I was actually just listening to a podcast interview you did with Tara Gentili. And I just loved hearing more about like those early days of you and Devin building that first empire, you know, and getting it started in college because there are just so many gems from a startup perspective. But the fact that you started 10 years ago, I feel like it's kind of in all the parallels and analogies that you could use about like the twinkle of an eye when the business is just starting and that kind of thing. It's like 10 years in your businesses are school age and they're pretty much a lot of them are handling themselves, at least with your product-based businesses and things. And so it's a different stage, but then you're starting all over with this new accelerator branch, like you said. And then Olivia came onto the scene little lady, Olivia, about 10 months ago, almost. What kind of preparations did you make? I mean, because this is, again, a lot of people listening, maybe either they're nervous about starting their families because they're not sure how that's going to impact their business, or it's like 
oh, well, I'm already pregnant, so there's no turning back now. What were the kind of preparations that you were making in order to make this transition to adding a human baby to this mix? So to be totally and completely honest, I have probably been preparing for this transition into motherhood and my businesses since I started my first company. This past year, in a lot of ways, I don't want to use the E word and say easy, but it has been a very lovely, wonderful 10 months. Mm. I will not say that it's been filled with tons of strife and struggle. It's definitely been an adjustment. Don't, don't misunderstand. I mean, our world has definitely been turned upside down in the best way possible. But, yep. you know, like I said, my husband and I have been, been doing this, doing our businesses for 10 years, and it's always been, in a lot of ways, a means to an end. We always wanted to start businesses that would allow us to cultivate and design our life, which is such a kind of cheesy catchphrase for a lot of internet businesses, the whole lifestyle freedom angle. But we really, since the very beginning, have made a lot of strategic decisions in the projects that we work on, how we work, so that by the time we always knew we wanted to have a family and we knew we wanted to do it a certain way. And every decision, we've not every decision, but really the biggest decisions we've made in terms of what companies we wanted to start in, where we wanted to put our time, was so that ultimately by the time that we did have our daughter, we got to really choose and shape where our time and how our time was spent and what parenthood would look like for us. And I'm happy to say, you know, I won't say that it was easy, but by really trying to consciously design and be aware of how we're working and how that's impacting our ability to be with our daughter and be parents, it's turned out pretty well. That's so good. I'm glad for you to say that because again, it's a unique perspective because there's obviously not going to be as many of us who are at the multi-million dollar revenue mark before we have brought little ones into the mix. And I think that it's so valuable and there's so many things still that we can relate to and learn from, even if you're not at that point, you know, and it's not to say that your business has to be built into full on empire status before you can have a kid or else it's doomed to be total crazy train. But like, what are some of those things that you did intentionally design and put into place so that you could be in this place where you're like, all right, we've got a good setup and we have a good support system. And we know that certain things are handled and taken care of. So it's not like jumping from putting out this fire to that. What are some of those key things that y'all intentionally did put in place? Well, delegation is a muscle. There's this common misbelief, I think, that some people are really good at delegating their business and some people aren't. And I don't think, I think all entrepreneurs are kind of control freaks. That's why we want to start our own businesses in the first place is we don't want to have a boss. And so delegation has been something from the very beginning. I've always made sure I was doing And it's been difficult in every single business and in different ways. And for my personal brand, it's particularly difficult to delegate copywriting, to delegate content, because I have a very unique way that I would say something or teach something. And in order to be able to do business and parenthood, you have to really, really choose how to delegate. It's not a question of if you can do everything well, you can't, you can do everything, but you won't do it well. And I really don't think you'll enjoy it unless you're just crazy. And a big part of this past year, the transition is been delegating parts of our childcare. Something that I am very open and happy to answer any questions about is we actually have 24 hour live in care. 
So we have a wonderful woman that comes and takes care of Olivia. She's here at night. She's here first thing in the morning. And that has been a total game changer. That was one of the things that I didn't expect to want or need. I'd always planned on having a baby nurse, someone for the first three or so months that would live with us and help with the nighttime feedings and just that kind of thing. But She's become such a wonderful blessing to our family because it gives us so much freedom. I think I didn't grow up with a nanny or anything like that, and I didn't really understand. I thought if you had a nanny, that meant that you just didn't care for your child. And Mm. I don't mean care emotionally. I meant you just didn't do anything. Right. That's really the opposite. I mean, I spend a ton of time with, with my daughter every single day. But it's on my terms, mm-hmm. which it won't be like this forever. Don't hear me, you know, incorrectly. <laughs> Once they get to a point where they need more than just, you know, being fed and changed, I, I won't be able to delegate my childcare forever. And I'm very aware of that and plan mm-hmm. on being a very, very active role in Olivia's life. But for these first, you know, <laughs> six months, yeah, a lot of that care that really could be delegated, and that allowed me to have time to really re-examine my role in my businesses after I had my daughter, I wanted to give myself the time after I had her to go, okay, do I want to be working five days a week? Do I want to be working three days a week? You know, what am I really feeling right now? And readjusting, like I said, the biggest thing for me is just trying to be very aware of the needs from my family, the needs in my businesses, and my own personal needs, which, you know, as moms, we're told we're not supposed to think or talk about. But, you know, like I realized a really important thing for me after having Olivia was to start exercising because I was not feeling good in my body, which Mm -hmm. meant I was not feeling good in other areas of my life. So I said, okay, I need to be able to take an hour every morning and work out. And that's something that, you know, you have to have a certain level of establishment in your business and, you know, in your revenue to be able to make those choices. But having her and being able to really consciously decide what our day-to-day looks like with childcare and working has been just incredible. Sounds delightful, actually. And I love how you said that too, because I mean, it's not like you don't want to hang out with them, but truly, I mean, exactly what you just said, being able to pop in to where you're in between and you can really be present as opposed to like halfway doing this, halfway doing that. And then you feel like poop all the day long because you're not really present in your work and you're not really present hanging out with her because you're trying to do both and it's a big fail. So I tried that in the beginning because, you know, my friends told me, oh, they sleep lots in the beginning. You'll be fine. So we just had our baby nanny come in the evenings to do the nighttime shifts. Mm -hmm. But I realized that she would sleep But not when I actually had an interview or a webinar or something where I had to be on a call. That would be like when she needed me and was fussy and inconsolable. And then she fell asleep and I, you know, it it wouldn't be an optimal time for me to work or I was tired. So I realized that I didn't want to be reactive in my Mm. day. I wanted to be able to be proactive and plan my time with her so that it was quality and impactful and do the same for my business. Yeah. Well, that's a really good point. And that's true. I mean, honestly, because this is just something that I hear so often of like, well, I can't afford childcare and I can't, but I'm like, dude, there's always something we can do. And it does, it just comes down to a choice and it's hard to admit, but it's way easier to play the victim and be like, Oh, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. But it does all come down to a choice. And there are things and ways that you can do just to get creative. And even like you're saying, man, and this is something like, as we're recording this, I've gone actually 
seven days in a row of doing this little workout DVD because I'm like, Nikki, get a grip, dude. (laughs) This is too long to be going on and saying that you don't feel good in your body. It's time to actually do something about it. And he does sleep. And there are times when you can do things. But even if not, I remember with Bryson, I used to just, when he was two months old, I had a C-section with him. So once I was cleared for takeoff and I could walk, we just started walking just for sanity. And it was like something to do that kept him occupied while he was awake. (laughs) And it was something for me to do, to move my body, to get out, to listen to something inspiring, a podcast or music or nothing at all. So there's plenty of ways that we can take what you're saying, even if 24 hour living care isn't an option for us at the moment. Like there are things we can do if it's childcare swapping with a friend or doing whatever it is. I mean, $10 an hour, having a mother's helper, which is something I didn't even know that was a thing, but a mother's helper who can come in the evenings when it's the witching hour and it's like dinner, bath and bedtime. And you literally need an extra set of hands. Like it's so valuable to be able to give yourself that space to figure it out. And it's the same with your business, which you've obviously mastered. And I totally admire this and your ability to see it as a choice and know that you need support. And so you were talking earlier about having a hard time letting go of the things that you would literally no embroidery pun intended, but like put your stamp on your monogram on of like your content, your copywriting and things that it's kind of hard for you to let go of. So how have you let go of those things? Is it just logically looking at it and matter of fact being like, well, because I can't do it all. Like what have you gone through in the process that you've gone through to be able to delegate the things that you really were tempted to hold tightly to? Prioritization. What's, you know, I think it's so easy. Actually, I think it's kind of lazy to be honest with you to do everything in your business because you're not being strategic. You're not sitting down and saying, okay, where are the highest impact projects? What are the most important tasks? What are the most important things that I should be giving my full undivided attention versus just responding to emails or, you know, putting something up on social media, like actually looking at everything on your plate. And I love what you said about playing victim. And maybe this is a bit of a going to be tough. Love is going to be the theme of this this particular interview, but really sitting down and going, okay, you know, now that I have, I don't want to spend, I worked a lot before I had Olivia just because I enjoyed it and I wanted to, and there was nothing really else to pull me away from it. Mm -hmm. But now that I have my daughter, I do work a lot less in terms of time. So I have to be really conscious of making sure that it's going towards the right projects, the right things that not only are important to me, but also that are setting myself and my family up for success five, 10 years from now. I don't want to go too far on a tangent, but I do want to talk about future planning with a business and a family. So do it, take it, take that tangent. (laughs) But with delegation, it was really sitting down and looking at everything I did and then choosing three things. What are three things that are really important that only I can do that I don't want to hand off? Mm -hmm. And then how can I delegate everything else? And some delegation is easy. It's great to find stuff you don't like doing and pass that off. But I find that the most of our time, the most of our projects are kind of in that gray area. Things we don't mind doing that's fun sometimes that we're kind of good at, but that's not the stuff that is really the highest yielding for you. You need to find those three things that are the most important to put your time towards and then work on delegating everything else. That's so good. And so when it comes to delegating those things, again, like, cause I know you've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs. What are the biggest stumbling blocks that you see over and over and over again, where you're like, people, come on, let's do this. But like, there are, I'm sure some patterns and blocks that as people are trying to find people to delegate 
two or as people are training and, you know, letting people into your business and all of that? Like, what are some of the blocks that you see people dealing with and how do they move past that to get it done and to start building a team that's really doing even a better job than they would have if they would have tried to hold on to those things for dear life? Sure. Well, there's two main blocks. The first one is their own personal mindset, getting over the fact that, you know, they think no one can do it as well as they can do it. And that actually might be true. You know, you might be better. We always want to think of the best case scenario, which is we can find someone that is better than us at that thing. That's awesome. But in most cases, actually, you might find someone that may not be as good as you, but as long as it's not a critical task in your business, I think it's perfectly okay to accept an average competent replacement option. And that's, you know, we all like to talk about, oh, hire people that are vetting you, have this exemplary team. You do, you do want to have in, in the important roles in your business, you want to have people that are rock stars, but it's also hard to find rock stars. So sometimes you need to get someone in there and you're still looking for someone else, even though you're just getting someone in there. So you're not the pinch point. Like, oh, I have to do this until I find a rock star. No, you Mm -hmm. get someone in that role. You continue to look until you find that person. But a great, a dream team, it's like designing a home. It's never done. (laughs) There's always Mm -hmm. things coming in and going out and you're always shifting and adapting, but getting over the mindset that you know, someone might not do it as well as you. And as long as it's not damaging your brand, they're doing a competent job. That's okay for now. The second thing is just process. I think there's just not enough good education out there for entrepreneurs on how to actually, first of all, find the right people and not just people talk about process for hiring. And I think a lot of people assume it's about after the person has been hired, what process do you have in place? I have a very minimal onboarding process after I've hired someone because the process, what it looks like before someone has ever even offered a position with any of our companies is so aggressive. It's usually around a three month trial process where there's, I really don't care about resumes. I mean, I'll look at one just for entertainment purposes, but it's not a deciding factor. We normally do anywhere from six to eight different trial projects. And we spend a lot of time going through candidates. And I think that's a big stumbling process for a lot of people is not understanding that you need to give your prospects, your potential hires, several small, not huge, but Mm -hmm. several small projects that are representative of the type of work that you're going to be hiring them for before you ever extend an actual job offer. And so would you do that and you, you're offering multiple trial projects to multiple candidates at the same time in that window? Yes. And I would be happy to talk about this, to be totally honest with you. I think it could be its own podcast episode. Let's talk about hiring. But yes, yes, normally I start out with anywhere from 30 to 20 applicants for any particular position. And then it's a series of projects where they are weeded out. And it's kind of like, I don't know, I don't watch The Bachelorette, but I assume it to kind of be like The Bachelorette where at each level, only a small percentage goes on to the next stage of projects. Okay, that's good. And yes, we totally could have a whole nother conversation about that because I just love, I just basically love knowing that you're out there as this like, superhuman example of excellence. However, it's, it seems like this. Okay. This is the question that I'm going for from the outside. The Duncan empire is no freaking joke, right? I mean, it is real. And from the inside, it is real. But what I love so much about it 
is that it, it's so like, you know, I mean, you guys are impeccable dressers and your Instagram is beautiful. And I mean, Olivia is an impeccable dresser. I love seeing her outfits on Instagram. And yet what I know to be true is that you're like the last people in the world to let perfectionism keep you from moving forward. So how does that work? You know what I mean? Because then there's so many other people who it's like struggling, struggling, and it's this story of perfectionism and it has to be just right. And really like the people who are actually succeeding in business know that like you can aim for average competent people, you know, like that's the key to success. It's not about getting hung up on every little detail. However, you do have so many attention to detail type things. Does that even make sense? You know what I'm saying? Like, I do. I don't know if we're 100% on the same track, but it's actually reminding me of a funny little metaphor. You know, I love design. I It's so funny because I do love beautiful things and I do love organization and I am very intentional, but I am not a perfectionist in the yeah. very least. And both of Olivia's nurseries, we have a place in New York City and a place in the country in Connecticut. Mm-hmm they are still not even done. Like I think I just got drapes up in in her Connecticut one a month ago and she's almost 10 months old. Right. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out how to turn this into a teachable moment, but even though I do really strive for excellence and I really am, you know, very attention to detail, it never stops me from getting the ball rolling. I never wait to do anything until everything is aligned perfectly. I'm a big believer in just learning as you go, making the best decisions with the best information you have at that time. But there's never been anything that I've been like, oh, well, we can't do this until this is all perfect or this, you know, life just unfolds as it unfolds. And you have to have grace with yourself and and grace with God and with the process to let it unravel as it will. Yeah. I love that. Well, and I also love how you explained with the dream team, like designing a home, it's never done because that's, well, one, it's perfectly on brand <laughs> with luxury monograms and designing, but it's true. Like, it's just something that evolves. And I think it's so easy to get caught up in like, all right, okay, cool. I'm going to get all this in place and then I'm done. But it's like, no, as you just said, it just unfolds. We are always going to be learning as we go. And then as soon as we figure out one thing, it's going to be time to grow to the next thing, just like with our kiddos. I mean, that's like, they're such great teachers and just walking metaphors because I'm like, all right, okay, now he's rolling. Okay, now now he's crawling. Oh, he's falling. Oh, but he's going to keep going. And he doesn't think twice about like quitting because he's like, oh man, I fell. I'm not going to learn how to crawl. He just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. So we can learn so much from him in that. And so on that note, I am curious because you did say that having her here shifted things What's something maybe that surprised you or maybe it didn't surprise you, but it's just a big shift that happened like once she was here and how has that affected your work? I mean, you said you're working less and you're choosing what you're working on more intentionally than before because obviously there's just so much time, but like how has Olivia being here and being a mom impacted the way that you work? First of all, I cannot work from home. And well, I mean, I can work from home. We actually had a separate structure built Mm -hmm. (laughs) at at our lake house, not in New York, but at our lake house and it's joint offices for Devin, my husband and I, because it is so hard to work in the house with her. And I mean that in the best way possible, because even if she's with her nanny and I hear her laugh. I want to know why she's laughing. Oh, right. She's crying. I want to know why she's crying. And I am a very focused person. And if I can't focus, 
I have a bad day. Like I need to focus. That's how I do my best work. That's how I have the most enjoyment and out of the process of whatever I'm doing. Even if, you know, you don't have the opportunity, like in New York, a lot of times I'll go to our building lounge or I'll go to a coffee shop. I have to be somewhere. And I actually usually don't leave for very long. It might just be two or three hours out of the day. Three hours is like a really long work day for me now, mm. concentrated, but I will leave and just detach because I know that I can do really good work. I know I can spend less time working and then be able to be done by two or three o'clock in the afternoon because I spend the mornings with her. So usually I work between 12 to three every single day. Okay. And because of that, if I work just that time, I'm fully present while I'm doing that, then I can spend my evening and my afternoon with her and I'm not feeling this nagging feeling of I didn't get stuff done or somebody needs something from me. And I can just really do both work and the whole mom role a lot easier and, and enjoy it more. Now, did you, once upon a time, because I feel like one of the or maybe it was Amy saying that she got her idea from you about doing the creative time in the morning. So did you start off by trying that first? And then you were like, okay, this is just not working. Like how did it evolve? That's been actually a, yeah, a big adjustment for me because normally I do my best work first thing in the morning and mornings have become very different now that we have Olivia. Mm -hmm. Because First of all, the first thing you want to do is see your baby in the morning. And so I love seeing her. We do breakfast together. She plays. She doesn't go down for her nap until usually around mm, 10, 30, 11. Yeah. And so because of that, I don't do my work until about noon now. Mm -hmm. And that was very, very different. And I used to get really flustered by the fact that my routine was changing. But ultimately, I wanted to have that time with her first thing in the morning because then I kind of felt like I'd kind of gotten my fix. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We'd had some bonding time. I usually take her for a walk, take our dog lady for a walk, do the whole mommy thing. And then I disconnect for a little bit of the afternoon and do my work. But yeah, that, that did shift because I used to do, I still do my most important creative work first in my work day, but mm -hmm. my work day starts a lot later now. That's good and interesting. And I feel like I would totally see the thing for me, especially while we're out here in Hawaii is like, uh, because we're five, six, however many hours behind everyone. So it's like, oh shoot. Okay. I really do need to dive right into it so that while I have actual help with Deacon in the morning that I can do the actual calls as opposed to in the afternoon when people are like, you know, having dinner and such things. Yeah. See, I'm so, East Coast. So noon for me is 9am on the West Coast. Yeah. No, that sounds actually really perfect. I feel like, because then you're not, uh, the thing about, especially with Bryson, this is the difference in having two with Bryson. I was working from home for the park service and then for university Phoenix, but we could just kind of set our own schedule. Like we didn't have to be at any given place at a certain time with Deacon. He like, I'm waking him up so that we can take Bryson to school and that kind of thing. So it's like second kid problems <laughs> because it's like, Oh, right. we're, we've got other places to go and be, but yeah. I do. I like still to have, like, it's a good feeling to know that you are focusing on them and that time first. And then I feel like by doing that time first, you really can disconnect and focus in business stuff. Whereas for me, I'm, see, I'm rethinking my own live as this is happening. I'm rethinking my own structure. Cause I'm like, if I could have that time with him, then I would feel better about diving right into work. Right. Whenever. Right. Yeah. For me, if I try to go straight to work first thing in the morning after I haven't seen her all night, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel right. Right. 
This is good. Thank you for facilitating this aha by sharing your own setup. Happy to help. I mean, I, I always feel, I don't want to say I feel bad because I do not feel bad. I've worked very, very hard and for a long time to be able to Heck have yeah. stage and, and to be able to afford live-in care. So I don't feel bad about it. The only thing is sometimes I struggle with, I want to be able to provide more helpful advice to women that are just starting out, but it's not my reality. My reality is very different. And to be honest with you, there's no way I'd be sitting here being, you know, talking about how I work out every morning and, you know, have these phenomenal business projects and this, you know, great relationship with my husband. If I was trying to start a business at the same time, I don't know how you ladies do it. (laughs) It sounds real hard. And I, I bow down to you because I don't know if I have the gumption to do it. All I can hope is, is, you know, I, I talked to some women and they're like, you know, it's just really interesting to hear like, you know, something we could potentially strive for. If this is what you want your, your parenting and business life to look like, if it's not, not offended, we all have totally different goals and different, you know, things that we want to prioritize and how we want to be parents and how we want to run businesses. And the great thing is, this is America. We can do it however the heck we want. Amen. <laughs> I know it's so good and it's so true. And that's exactly why I wanted to be able to have this conversation and record it with you because I do, I believe that there's no one right way. It's not a belief. I mean, that's like a fact. There's no one right way to do it, but I love hearing how you are doing it because it does for number one, there could be someone listening who doesn't have kiddos yet or is just starting their businesses. And maybe this is how they want to create it. And I think that's the best thing that we can do by having these conversations from all walks of life and all different, you know, kids of different ages and businesses at different stages is to see what's possible. And I think it's really empowering to hear stories like yours because it's like, right, it is possible. I mean, you are a human, you are, you are a real person. You are not a robot. This was a story that you guys began intentionally 10 years ago to create this reality for yourselves. And I think, again, it's so easy to default to feeling like we're not those powerful creators, you know, to be able to create what we want. And so I love to hear your story and to hear about there are all kinds of things we can take away from it. And so as we kind of near the end of this particular conversation, Seeing what you do see though, I mean, again, the mom thing is reasonably new now, 10 months in, but the business thing is not. And you have worked with so many people from, again, all walks of life, especially in the last five years of these businesses where you've been working with fellow entrepreneurs. So, I mean, you speak with true authority in that sense of like the messiness of the early stages of business. So speaking to that, what are some of those things that you could see if you could tell people when they're in these early years of business, like really getting set up to be able to build to a point where revenue is more predictable and the team is built out. Like what are those struggling and sticking points that you would encourage people or like, you know, your golden tips, I guess, for people. Well, in the vein of our tough love segment here, (laughs) I think that a lot of times in the beginning, we're a little too self-indulgent as entrepreneurs, whether Mm. you've left a, you know, a corporate job and you're doing your own thing. So you don't want any structure and you don't have a boss telling you what to do. So you don't want any rules or limitations. I don't think the business needs to be as chaotic or messy in the beginning as sometimes we tell ourselves it's supposed to be definitely a testing process and you're definitely, you know, throwing things against the wall, getting feedback, all of that. 
I see a lot of people that start businesses and they haven't really tested the concept. They're not really tracking anything to see if their idea even has legs, spending their time doing all sorts of stuff. And I got to say it, you know, women entrepreneurs in particular, because I work with so many of them and I love, love them. A lot of times they spend their time doing things that they like doing. They like doing social media, but they don't like selling or they like doing this. If you want to do what you just like to do, Girl, get a great hobby. Enjoy yourself. But a business is going to require doing things you don't want to do. Something my husband always says, and and he's like my biggest, this sounds so cheesy, but like my biggest inspiration because I think he's just brilliant. But he always talks about if you're going to become an entrepreneur, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Like it's going to be hard. It's going to require learning skills that you don't enjoy, that you don't want to do. I feel like nobody talks about this. Yeah. And that would be my biggest piece of advice if you're just starting out is be smart, particularly if you do want to have a lot of freedom and a lot of success by the time you have children or with children, you have to get really disciplined about being very strategic, getting organized, putting systems in place, even though putting systems in place isn't super fun. It's what's going to allow you to be able to have that fun and that flexibility later on. It's so true. Getting comfortable being uncomfortable. And what are some of those things that across the board or are there things that are across the board? Like regardless, these are those things that you would recommend focusing on. I mean, obviously finding something that makes money. (laughs) You talked about, you know, testing the idea, testing the concept and what kinds of things when you say tracking, like what kinds of things are the most important to be tracking? Because it's also easy to go down the opposite end of the rabbit hole, which is like your not even getting your sales page out there because you're like, oh wait, I need to split test five different things, you know, and then people get carried away with that. Again, talking about perfectionism, what are those basic key components that people can focus on to actually get the momentum going? Well, particularly in the, like the information or the internet marketing space, I see a lot of people have a failed launch or have a failed program and they go, oh gosh, poor me. It didn't work. And I won't even get into the fact that there wasn't proper testing done beforehand in terms of like doing a beta group or doing something where they actually had to sell the product to a test group or something. Talking to non-buyers, you know, if you have a small audience, you pitch a product, you pitch a workshop, you do something and it's not well received. I would be getting on the phone or at least emailing anyone in your system that you know saw the offer and asking them why they didn't buy. And you can do this in a way that really people love, love to share their opinions. (laughs) So you don't have to do it in a way where it's like, hey, why didn't you buy from me? You should have bought from me. They're like, hey, I would really appreciate, like we do it with a non-buyer survey just because of the the quantity of people that we're normally looking for information from. But if you have a small listener starting out, it could easily be a personal email where you're like, hey, you know, I just wanted to reach out. It's really important to me, make sure I'm serving my audience correctly. I noticed that you saw the offer, you attended the webinar, or however your modality is for pitching your product, and you didn't take us up on it. Would you mind, you know, just answering a few questions about why? Or would you mind telling me why this was product wasn't the right fit for you? Figure out why the stuff that you're doing isn't working. I think that's something that people don't want to do because they want to focus on all the fun stuff and the branding and, you know, the business card and having a pretty website and getting a bunch of social media followers. Can't take those to the bank. Those aren't going to pay your 24-hour live-in care. You've got to figure out (laughs) why the stuff that you're putting out to the marketplace isn't getting the reaction you want. 
And I think that's one area in particular I see a lot of beginning entrepreneurs avoiding is the failures. That's where you learn the most. You don't learn anything from the successes or you learn very little. It's when the products don't work, when the products aren't selling, the programs aren't filling up and talking to the people that have seen that and learning. Yeah, that's a really good point because it is, it's definitely not fun to like face that it's easier. It's not actually easier because it makes it a whole lot harder in the long run. If you're just then dropping something that close to the finish line to be like, ah, it's not going to work. And then not at least trying to figure out if it's salvageable. And maybe you're like one tweak away from a whole lot more people saying yes to whatever that given offer is. And something I've noticed that is different to me, and I don't know if, if it's something that can be cultivated or not is even though some of my businesses are under the umbrella of a personal brand. I still have a bit of detachment. My business is not me. It is a separate entity than myself. So if a program doesn't work, if a launch doesn't go as I had hoped, I'm not being personally rejected. (laughs) I think that's what gives me the space to step back and look at things analytically and not take things so personally. And I've, I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs that both men and women are so connected to their business as one of the same thing as themselves. They can't look at it subjectively. And if something doesn't work, they are so emotionally wounded about it for months Mm. that they don't see clearly and they can't bounce back as quickly like you were talking about. They can't learn from the setbacks and bounce back fast enough because they have to go through this whole emotional healing process. And it's just a difference in personality. And, And if that's you, I just would encourage you to really look at you know, when people are rejecting a product of yours, they're not rejecting you personally. And so, you know, don't take that so much to heart because part of business is is rejection and learning how to overcome it and learn from it. That is such a thing. And I'm totally guilty of that. It is such a thing. And it is so easy. It's like, well, speaking of, and then because of the 90 day year, which you co-created with Todd Herman. And I remember last year promoting it as an affiliate and someone reached out to me and she was like, Oh my gosh, thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to pay you because a course about copy wasn't what I needed this year, but I'm so thankful to be able to thank you for all of the value that you've provided throughout the year. And I'm like, Oh, right. Cause sometimes you're just not offering things that they want or need at that given time. And right. it's not a personal thing. It's not like, Oh, they don't like me. They don't want to buy from me. It's like, no, actually they're thanking you for opportunities. Other ways to work with them may not be that one particular thing, but that doesn't mean that this is a good tough love conversation. <laughs> but- <laughs> But it's so good to hear about it. Tough love. (laughs) Okay. As we wrap, are there any other things, pieces of the puzzle just from your last 10 months of experience or again, 10 years when it comes to the empire building that we haven't covered that you feel like these would be some good lasting insights or just a lesson or an aha moment from the last year or so where you've been combining the two that something that has really worked for you or even just a mindset shift or something about really being able to enjoy your roles in both pieces. You know, I think you have to give yourself grace. Uh, You have to give yourself grace as a mother you know, there might be like, because of the way I'm currently living my life, I'm not there for Olivia every single second of every single day. And I know some moms, that's really, really important to them. You know, I said earlier, like, I really want to tie in things that I'm doing with my business long-term with the type of parent I want to be. Mm-hmm. And as Olivia is getting older and older, she's just becoming more and more fun. And so, <laughs> you know, like I'm working, you know, three, three to four hours a day. 
but there's going to be a point where maybe I don't want to work certain days of the week, or, you know, maybe I won't want to travel and do some of the things that I'm currently doing for business right now, because it's going to be too important to spend that time with her. There's going to be times when she's a teenager that maybe she's going to need a lot more hands-on parenting than she does right now. And so for me, it's always being very aware of the things I'm saying yes to, the things I'm saying no to, what that's going to look like long-term for me. That's a big reason that we started the Accelerator Company is because I wanted to be able to be bringing in revenue from businesses that I wasn't directly doing the day-to-day work in because I can be involved as much or as little as I want. And knowing that parenthood is going to bring all different types of phases and challenges and blessings, I want to make sure that everything I'm doing is tying me into even more and more flexibility. But grace would be the biggest message. You know, there's going to be things in your business that you couldn't do that you did before you have kids. And that's just the way it is. And there's different blessings and different challenges once you become a parent and an entrepreneur. And I think that you just can't let perfectionism get in the way of doing what you want to do and doing it the way that you want to do it. Yes. A to the men, that is definitely, I think, regardless of any situation or circumstance, I do think that that's one of the core messages of whatever this Naptime Empires conversation evolves into being is the grace and the self-compassion to like be okay with yourself at the end of the day, knowing that you're doing the best that you can do and knowing that you are empowered and it is about choices and that you do have options, but ultimately like being okay and not beating yourself up on not being able to do all the things perfectly as you maybe once imagined when you weren't actually living it. So I think that's one of the best things I've heard about being a business owner and being a parent is being empowered. And that's about choices because I did not know anyone whose parental situation, any moms that kind of did this the way that I'm doing it. Mm. And it feels so right. The way that we're doing it, it feels right in my marriage. It feels right in my relationship with my daughter. It feels right in my business. And I don't take that for granted because I know a lot of people don't feel that when they're trying to do all of this. Mm. But it's so unique because I've never seen anyone else do it the way I'm doing it. So I love that you said that about empowerment and choices because, I mean, that's really a big part of why we're doing this in the first place is we want to be able to take the reins and, you know, you don't have to just be a stay-at-home mom. You don't have to be a crazy career woman. You don't have to be painted into any particular box. You can paint outside the lines, color outside the lines and create what you want to create. Yes, that is so good. I'm going to have to like clip that out and make that the introduction to this episode because it is exactly, ah, oh, that just lit me up because that is exactly why I wanted to have this conversation to present all the options and, and show, I mean, not even all the options, but at least some of them. So Melanie, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening work hours to share your story and to share this current setup. It's exciting. I love that we have little ones the same age because we'll be walking through this teenage empire one of these days and going through all the challenges and adventures that surely come along with that. So again, thank you so much. It's bath time at the Duncan house now. (laughs) All right. We'll let you get to bath time. And then the last question, where are the best places to find you online? And I'll link it all up in the show notes, but where are the best places that we can connect? Yeah. If you go to melanieduncan.com, that's my central hub. We release training every single week. I'm also very active on Instagram at melanieduncan77 if you want to see lots of Olivia pics. <laughs> awesome. Thanks again so much. Thanks for having me, Nikki. This show may be over, but the conversation is just beginning. 
head on over to naptimeempires.com slash Facebook so you can join my free, wait, did I say free? I mean, priceless, rapidly growing community of Naptime Empire Builders for deeper discussions, behind the scenes scoop, and of course, updates whenever I've got new stuff coming up for you. NaptimeEmpires.com slash Facebook. See you there. See you next time. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 